I look forward to that day. Uh, as I get older, I find myself going to more and more funerals. Not mine yet, but uh, I, uh, we really rejoice in that. There are so many things that I didn't know about these dear friends that I find out in the, uh, in the memorial service for them. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I preached for the service of my oldest sibling, my sister, 91 years old, uh, passed into the presence of Christ. And I had her funeral service. And so to go back and look over what God has done, uh, I'm so glad I belong to that family. The family of God. Been washed in the fountain. Cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I am so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Well, we're talking about spiritual gifting. And uh, uh, as we get into this, you probably... Uh, feel more like Charles Schultz, my favorite theologian, uh, who uh, has peanuts, I mean, uh, not <laughs> peanuts, but Snoopy, saying, my body blames me for not being able to go places. And my foot says it was my head's fault, and my head blames my eyes. Uh, my eyes say my feet are clumsy. And my right foot says not to blame him for what my left foot did. And I don't say anything because I don't want to get involved. And uh, maybe that's where you are with regard to spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't really want to get involved. But you're gracious enough to be here, and uh, so that's good. And uh, we will take it from there. I went to see the Charles Schultz Museum up there in Santa Rosa some time ago. Have you been there? You did? In the museum? Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a fun place to go. He had a real sense of humor, I'll tell you, uh, as he characterized our uh, day. There's another man who is more of a poet who put it in a little different way. Maybe you can identify with this. I am indebted to the gull. He made me want to fly. But I am in greater debt to the goose because he made me want to fly in a family. Have you ever, I don't know if you, if these geese come this far down south, you know, by the time you get here, it's too hot for the geese, I suppose. But I go outside of my house because I hear this honking going on. And I go up there and I see hundreds and hundreds of geese all in formation. And when the goose up at the front gets tired, the one at the back comes up and takes his place. And they just rotate. 
These are just animals and they have better, better sense than most human beings. Uh, that's what we're talking about is order in the family of God. And the picture of the uh, head and the body uh, shows us unity unto order, the kind of thing <clears throat> that it will produce. So I, I like the example that the goose gives me better than the gull. I was with a lot of those gulls just a few days ago on the beach uh, in Washington. And uh, I like the goose better, but they sure do mess up our yards. They fertilize the yards. <clears throat> More specifically, getting down to basics with regard to spiritual gifting, it helps to relate it to basic human needs. And the basic human needs that we have are threefold. Food and rest and exercise. Food, rest, and exercise. We need each of those in proper balance. <laughs> what are you laughing about, Arch? He's waiting for me to make some smart remark at him. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. But... Food, rest, and exercise. All in what? Proper balance. You can go on all kinds of diets, and I think Ruth has tried about all of them. Uh, she's on a drug called prednisone now, which has a, a bad uh, side effect. And that is no matter what you do, you keep gaining weight. And But she is doing a fantastic job of fighting it. Don't you think so? I think she looks great. And uh, I, you probably, many of you know the name David Hawking, who uh, has uh, been on prednisone for quite some time, and he has just ballooned out. It's just uh, amazing what it can do to you. It keeps you from, in her case, from going blind and, uh, and or maybe dropping dead on the spot. But <clears throat> the side effects... Uh, it saves you from a couple of things, but it creates about ten others, all that could kill you. So, uh, uh, the, the food intake and the kind of things we eat, the, the balance in that is important. And rest is important. I was so tired when I got home this afternoon, when I got to the Rutherford's home that uh, I just crashed and went right to sleep. And I slept for a solid hour and a half, I think, honey. And I still got jet lag from a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I find I need a lot of rest. And uh, in, in proper balance again. And I find that I need exercise. And uh, these things have to all be had in balance. Now, <clears throat> what is true physically for us is also true psychically. My psyche has three basic needs that parallel the three physical needs. 
I have the need of something to know. Mankind is made to learn, is made to know. And if I don't fill that need, it will be filled with something. But it will be filled. If I don't fill it with truth, as uh, David could say, Thy word have I hidden in my heart in order that I might not sin against you, uh, it will be filled with something else. Uh, Nature abhors a vacuum. And uh, so the basic need of food to the physical body parallels the basic need of something to know for the mind. For the psyche, the soulish man, the living being. And, once again, we have a psychical need of someone to love. Um, Many years ago, I uh, picked up a book by William Glasser. Maybe some of you in your psychology classes in college uh, read his book, Reality Therapy. And uh, William Glasser says that every need, every human being, has two basic needs. The need to love and be loved. The need to feel worthwhile to himself and to others. I I think of that and uh, a member of my Sunday school class comes to mind. Dina Bamber. Uh, She's buried two husbands, not because she killed them, but they died. And uh, she decided she's not going to get married again because this is too much torture. She's an excellent nurse, 81 years old, and She looks a whole lot younger than I do. And uh, she right now is in Ukraine. She increases the time that she goes out to serve. In her homeland, she speaks Russian and speaks Ukrainian. And she goes there because of all the kids that need to be loved. They get no loving. Orphanages full of kids that have uh, <laughs> know firsthand what Chernobyl was all about. And so they're dying with uh, no hope. And they've got so many of those kids in the ages that they, uh, they cannot get enough caseworkers to handle them. And uh, what a pitiful thing it was for Athena Bamber to tell us that uh, they have some of these kids that they cannot let them get out of bed so they tie their feet and their hands to the posts of the bed and she said I can't stand to not go and do something to help what am I among so many well these kids need love that's what they really need And so she's been over there for about, what, three months now, honey? And she'll come back in another month, and then she'll go back next year. uh, Doing nothing but hugging and loving people. Why? It's a basic human need.
to love and to be loved. We need to do it, whether we recognize it or not. And we need to have it done to us. We need to love and to be loved. I, I grew up in a German family uh, where uh, love uh, was fulfilled by simply my dad being a good worker and supplying for the family. But I never heard my dad ever say to my mother, I love you. I'm sure he did. That's why he worked as hard as he did. But he never said it. And so I never learned it. When I got married, I came into a family that said that regularly. And uh, uh, Ruth is all the time saying, I love you. I love you. Hugging. You know, I carry a thing around in my wallet about the benefits of hugging uh, because of Ruth. And uh, she, uh, well, uh, I remember when we uh, hadn't been married for long, and uh, she said, uh, she called me in the morning at work, and she said, uh, she didn't say anything, as a matter of fact, she just said hi, and and uh, I said, well, what, what are you calling about? She said, well, I, I just wanted to talk to you. Well, well what did you want to talk about? Well, you, you know, she kind of hemmed around and she said, uh, I just wanted to hear you tell me that you love me. I said, honey, I, I told you that before I left. Uh, didn't you believe me? Oh, yes. I just want to hear it again, and again, and again. And I, I began to catch on. People need to love and be loved. That may just happen to be why the one commandment that Jesus Christ gave to those 11 self-centered guys in the upper room was love one another love one another. It starts right there. Right there. People, reality therapy says, need to love and be loved. And that certainly is intensely biblical as, as well as intensely psychologically. Ah, I need that. Those kids need that. You know, there, there are enough opportunity keep, to keep us busy all the time. All of us just loving people who are not being loved. Tremendous need. But there's a uh, third need of exercise. Something to do. Something to do. These three psychical needs parallel these three physical needs. And the beautiful thing is that God provides for the believer all three of them. So when you come to the Word of God, in, in the prayer of Jesus Christ to His Father, the Lord's Prayer, 
some people make a mistake by the way of, of calling the prayer in uh, Matthew chapter 6 the Lord's Prayer that's not the Lord's Prayer that's the disciples prayer Jesus could never pray that prayer you've probably already learned that but the Lord's Prayer he lets us in on his prayer life is in John 17 and he says Father sanctify them with thy truth thy word is truth and long before the church David could say in that longest psalm in the book Psalm 119 by the way a little bit of trivia uh, Psalm 17 is the 117 is the shortest psalm in the book and uh, Psalm 18 is right in the middle and the middle verse of Psalm 18 is the central verse in the whole Bible and it talks about God's relationship to man and man to God center verse in the Bible ah so David could say thy word have I hidden in my heart in order that I might not sin against thee O God I need that and if I'm too stupid to know that then I will suffer the consequences I need the truth of God and so Jesus felt that strongly enough to pray it to the Father and say Father sanctify these who have believed in me sanctify them by your truth fill that need that they've got of something to know not with trash but with the word of God which will make all the difference in the world well that's not really where we're headed during these few times we speak so there's so many dimensions you could fill in here the, the someone to love how does God supply that he gives us a family that we just sang about. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. The fellowship of the church. John 13, 35. Jesus gives a fantastic statement about how we can be successful in this effort that we're talking about after he models discipleship to the eleven in the upper room by serving them he then says to them a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you and then he gives this tremendous statement by this by this love i.e. by this all men out there all mankind out there will know that you belong to me because of your love one to another phenomenal thing we can never do too much of that and Christ says if you will do it if you will serve one another that is that is just right behind 
this area of spiritual gifting. Why are we even talking about it? Because it's so absolutely necessary not only for holistic Christian living today but it is absolutely basic to what I will do with Jesus Christ for eternity in our forever family. So it's it's right, as basic as you can get. The Word of God, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, David said. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. The fellowship of the church, of the members of the family, fulfilling the need of someone to love, lots of people to love. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit give us something to do. Something to do. Exercise, exercise. Uh, not long before we came down here, I went in for physical therapy uh, for uh, my lower back and for my left shoulder. Uh, body's falling apart. I tell people that I'm fulfilling biblical prophecy every day. Uh, he said it would decay, and it is. And uh, so my outer man, Paul said, is decaying. But my inner man is being renewed day by day while we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen. That process is so important because the older I get and the more decadence I experience the greater my hunger gets for home, real home. And I think that's why God lets a lot of this come our way. Because it will create a hunger for a new body. Eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. Fashioned like under the glorious body of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, were, we were talking earlier today about a dear saint of God. That the last time I saw him was sitting in the third bench there right where my friend with the gray shirt is sitting his name was Dr. Richard Beal died at 102 years of age and uh, I remember the wonderful statements that were made about his daughter and the tender way she cared for him and loved him. And she said, I am told. And there are there those here who can verify it or not verify it. Said, well, that must be a, a great chore for you. Oh, she said, I, I wouldn't miss the opportunity of taking care of my father some people it catches on and they get it and her father was a man who did the same thing I remember preaching at his church that he served for 52 years and he sat on the edge of his seat he was out at every service a man who knew everything that I was going to say already.
but listened as though he didn't know any of it and practiced it this business of loving is fantastic the results that it brings and so I want to stir myself up in one area that is very practical that God says you can catch hold of they will, they will be tools you know, a carpenter has a set of tools a mechanic has a set of tools for doing the job and a Christian has a set of tools for practicing these commands and so my spiritual gifts are the opportunity for exercising in the body of Christ <clears throat> the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that brings us to where we are in these several hours that we set aside uh, this week now when I talk about exercise you know Pastor Arch and I have a, a thing we've had a thing going between us for probably uh, as long as we've known each other I've been trying to get him to be healthy and he keeps resisting it and then he he shows me he takes me out and whips the daylight out of me on the tennis court how he carries all that after the boy around on a tennis court I have no idea but uh, uh, he still is alive probably not for long but uh, uh, my oh my exercise and I remember uh, going home in, in midday one time and my uh, I'd, I'd gone for a physical exam to my doctor uh, just an annual routine thing and, and uh, uh, I I got the report from him and he said uh, ah, you're alright you're alright oh I said good and I grabbed my coat and I began to walk out I said wait a minute wait a minute you've got another you got another problem that re you really need to work on oh I thought nuts here I thought I was in good shape and he said it's uh, he said it's your Dunlap I beg your pardon my Dunlap Arsh, do you know what a Dunlap is? A Dunlap is that which Dunlaps over your belt. And uh, he said, you got a problem. You got to deal with that. My land, my day was already filled with more than I could handle. And so I, I went home. And I caught my wife in a very unsightly position. She wasn't expecting me to come home. And, and she had her legs extended up in the air, laying on the family room floor, I guess it was. And uh, she was watching a, a great model of, uh, of exercise, Jack LaLanne, who claims that he's going to live to be 150, I think. And... Uh, I watched him for a moment and with such smoothness he went through his exercise regime. <laughs> I thought, wow, I could never do that. Uh, it, I don't have the physical body to do what he was doing and I don't have the time. Uh, but uh, I, I thought to myself that what I could do is pay Jack LaLanne 
to exercise for me. And I know he would cost heavy. But I'd be willing to pay a real expert to exercise for me. You say, you must have been crazy. Well, comes close to insanity. And uh, if I would have gone back to my doctor and I said to him, Doctor, I've taken very seriously what you've said to me about my Dunlap. And uh, I'll tell you what I've done. Because I am not, I don't have the body for it and I don't have the time for it. I have hired the best exerciser in the world. And I'm, I'm going to pay heavy to get him to exercise for me. He say, you are out of your head. That's right. But are there people like that? You know, people who have, uh, have this problem? We won't make any specific references to those individuals. But uh, let me read to you. From Sports Illustrated, (laughs) in case you don't believe me. A run for your money. A series of strange little ads appeared in the New York newspapers last week for something called, quote, Rent a Jogger. Hello. Rent me, uh, for for only $1.95, the ad promised, Rent me and I will jog for you at least one mile each day, weather permitting, for the next year. Moreover, a customer gets a certificate suitable for framing. Quote, attesting to the world that your jogger is securing for you the benefits of a healthful glow, extraordinary stamina, exciting muscle tone, and a power-filled sense of total well-being. End quote. This is reality, people. Rana Jarger is the idea of Harry Buonacori, a 45-year-old stockbroker from Queens, who is also the guy who runs for you. Believe it or not, within several days after the ads appeared, 322 people had sent in a $1.95 fee, which more than paid for the ads. Buonacori isn't going to run 322 miles a day. He's going to keep running his mile a day and say he's done it just for you. And why would anyone pay him $1.95? Buonacori says Bill Rogers would cost a lot more. Now, can you transfer from that to the church? You know, if there's more to be done, then hire some more staff people. That doesn't do the job that every one of us needs, that don't have the sense to understand we need it. So, uh, ask yourself whether... This guy really is helping you because you're paying him to do for you what nobody can do for you. So God gives us an opportunity of uh, fulfilling a basic human need 
of exercise. My physical therapist gave me a set of exercises for my shoulder and a set of exercises for my back. And frankly, I don't like doing them. But uh, I found out something. My lower back pain is gone, at least right now. And my left shoulder pain is gone right now. But that is not nearly as important as my spiritual exercise with eternal benefits. Well, now, why don't we just grab hold of that? Well, I've got a suggestion. We've got a twofold problem. I'll just put it all on at one time. Our problem is the pastor and the jack-of-all-trades syndrome, along with the people and the spectator trap, not involved. Twofold problem. There's a twofold solution, and that is the pastor becomes a coach of a team of well-qualified people, and the people get in the game. Not some of them. All of them. Because they're all gifted. And they all need, they all need to use their gifts. They need it. And the people need it. So, we, uh, we say we're going to set aside some time. I wrote an article on this for Moody Monthly some time ago. They drew up a rather interesting uh, picture of the pastor as the delivery boy and the church plumber and the taxi cab driver and the youth worker and so on and so forth. The, the jack-of-all-trades syndrome. Now, I've talked to your pastor here long enough that I know this is not a true picture of your church. You, you do have uh, the building of a team there. But uh, that team, if they're going to be faithful to their commission to God, has got to get the people involved in the family of God. And so we work at it. Well, I'm going to skip over a good bit here. I can tell that you're already getting under conviction and I don't want to wipe you out on the first go-round. I want to, in this introductory session, to answer uh, briefly five questions. What is a spiritual gift? How many are there? Are there any for me? When did I or do I get it? And who decides? Well, let's, uh, let's start with number one here. What are they?
spiritual gifts. What are they? They are your... I'm, I'm addressing myself now to people who confess to being children of God by faith in the Lord Christ. They are your capacity for spiritual exercise and development. I've got uh, all kinds of stuff for exercise at home. I, 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 some time ago, I, years ago, I, brought a, I bought a trim twist. You know what a trim twist is? Well, it's a set of springs, like. And when you jump out of bed, you start going around on that thing. And then I've got a deal that you pull like this to stretch your muscles here. And I, 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 we've got boxes of this stuff, haven't we, honey? Every time I see it, I buy some of it. So I ought to be in perfect shape because I bought this stuff like everything and rarely use it. So it doesn't really do much good to have... What are you saying down there? That wasn't Christian. You can't say never. You won't. Okay. Doesn't do me any good to buy it and have it in boxes. Doesn't do any good for God to give me in my salvation package spiritual gifts if I never get the ribbon off or the, or the paper off the package. What good to do? It's dormant. You say, why are you talking to us about that? Why don't you talk to the rest of the people? Well, I've got to get the message to them somehow. They are not here, are they? You are. So you say, well, uh, talk to them about it. No, I'm going to talk to you about it. Because we've got an urgent need here in this culture, in this land, where we are so culturally tied in that it's very difficult to have an eternal perspective. Very difficult. What are they? Well, they are my capacity for spiritual exercise and development. They are not a natural talent. Natural talents come with my first birth. Spiritual gifts come with my second birth. They are the capacity that God has given to each individual that has come into his family to exercise spiritually. And so they are not a natural talent. Now, let's, let's try to give an illustration there. I... I uh, person may get up and sing beautifully, a Christian. But have you noticed that there are some Christians who, when they sing, uh, have a special ability to encourage you through it. The spiritual gift is encouragement. The talent is singing. And people can use encouragement in different ways. Or they can use mercy in different ways. But we, we have natural talents and we have spiritual gifts. 
The talent should be used to enhance the spiritual capacity to bring glory to God by response to his command to love one another. So, what are they? They are my capacity for spiritual development. How many are there? Oh my. When I, when I did the first conference that I did on spiritual gifting, which probably is about 40 years ago now, I was at a uh, Campus Crusade for Christ meeting in uh, Arrowhead Springs. Uh, I think probably I've taught at Crusade for about 25 years. Not in recent years, but back there. And uh, they, uh, Bill Bright asked me if I would do a conference on spiritual gifting and three, three groups were going to go together to do this because you begin to hear about spiritual gifts and where did we hear about them? well uh, a pastor in, uh, in Van Nuys, California an Episcopalian pastor was talking with a friend of his about uh, uh, the dynamic that his friend was experiencing in Christ. And he thought, uh, how, how do you get it? And his friend said to him, well, it's of the Holy Spirit. And this fellow said, well, I, uh, I, I, I went to University of Chicago Divinity School and I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, so he said, how do I get the Holy Spirit? And he said, well, you've you got to speak in tongues. This was in 19, early 1960s. And he said, well, how do you do that? And that pastor showed how, if you said the right set of words for a long enough time, pretty soon it would happen to you. And that man, that pastor and his wife are still teaching that. Not in Van Nuys anymore. Now at St. Luke's in Seattle. And I have the sheet that they used. If you'll say the following words uh, two to three times faster than normal. Uh, don't, don't bother to stop. If you make a mistake, just keep on. And Because uh, somewhere along the line, it will come upon you. The Spirit of God. And that led into a movement called the Charismatic Movement. What is Charis? Charis is grace. And Charisma are the results of grace. It's not gimmickry. It's the grace of God. And... Uh, I, I will not, uh, I'll have another night in which I talk more about uh, the charismatic movement. But uh, that's where it all started. And therefore, 
the churches begin to get involved in spiritual gifting. What's it all about? That goes back, brethren, uh, over 40 years ago. And so Campus Crusade for Christ and uh, Sudan Interior Mission and what was the other one? Not Gospel Light, Scripture Press. Those three groups said, that, will you do a, a conference for us on spiritual gifts? And, and without thinking twice, I, I said, yes. I should have thought again. Uh, because I began to look back through my notes from 12 years of college, seminary, and graduate school. And I had not, not even one hour of teaching in those 12 years on the doctrine of spiritual gifts. It's amazing how you can miss out on things, isn't it? In godly Christian institutions. And it's, it's kind of like the biblical doctrine of reward. We've gone for years and church after church will say, I've never heard that. I say, how come? The Bible is full of it. But in 12 years of college, seminary, and graduate school, I never had one hour of teaching. The results of loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Not one hour. But I, I suppose kind of foolishly and daring to be an uh, 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 innovator at this point, I, I took on the challenge. Well, since that time, I have uh, given... I stopped counting at 500 spiritual gifts conferences. And I put it all on tape. Said if anybody wants it, order the tapes. Because it gets kind of discouraging when our culture could care less. And we, by statistics today, know less about spiritual gifting and have more people saying that they don't have a spiritual gift than we had 40 years ago. Either we got some pretty dumb teachers or we've got uh, pretty non-receptive audiences. But let me turn you to a verse of scripture for a moment. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, how many of you, uh, just for fun here to kind of think this through, how many of you basically know the content of that very popular verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2? Is that, let me see your hands. Is that, is that, uh, yeah, most of you have an idea of that. And we could probably uh, quote it. I, 
I beg of you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself uh, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And stop being poured into the mold. <laughs> That's one translation, a paraphrase of it. Stop being conformed to this world system, this Southern California world system. Stop being poured into the mold of this world system. Stop being conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By what? Truth. In order that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, I, I dared to enter into it. And I, I, I went back to my seminary notes and I found nothing there. I went to the seminary library and looked for a book on it and there was nothing there. And finally I found a book by a missionary who had served for 50 years in, in uh, South America. Alexander Rattray Hay who wrote a thick book on uh, hmm, now my poor mind is failing me I can't bring the title of that book back can you help me honey? it's on the church it's on, well anyway he, but he didn't feel like he was qualified to put a, a book out for the public this was kind of a private thing and so they, they, they published it through West Indies Mission I think or something like that and it never got into books and print but it's one of the finest things I've seen that was the only thing on spiritual gifting now look at this passage in Romans 12 <clears throat> I beg of you Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What's that a reference to? That's a reference back to the 11 chapters before, in which the writer ends with this peon of praise. Listen to it in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The, the writer Paul just rises to a crescendo as he thinks back through 11 chapters of the grace of God. What shall we do, he is saying, in the light of the mercies of God? Next line. I beg of you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God period and most people stop right there
And so when I went back to the articles, I went back to the library, I find that's where most, most sermons stop. I have read and heard hundreds, and that is not an exaggeration, of sermons on Romans 12, 1 and 2. The classic passage of presenting without ever, I have never seen one, it may have happened, but I have never seen one that connected verses 1 and 2 to verse 3. Look at verse 3. We'll do a little hermeneutics here. What's the first word in verse 3? For. What is for? What kind of a word is that? It's a connective. A causal connective. <laughs> and to, to read verses 1 and 2 and get all hepped up about that and stop there is to miss the very point of 1 and 2. And that's what we've done for 400 years. Uh, the, the Reformation brought back to us the priesthood of the believer. The church had taken that away from the people. The Reformation gave it back to us. But one thing the Reformation didn't do, they didn't give us anything to do with it. What's the purpose behind my priesthood? Why am I going to God? What is involved here? Well, he tells you. For or because I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, here we are back to the body metaphor again. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. There's great diversity. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, the unity of the body marching according to order, and individually members of one another. We belong to one another. Therefore, he says, next word, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And yet, to my knowledge, and if you can find out otherwise, please correct me. I think I've read all the literature available. And from the Reformation to 1960, there was nothing available on spiritual gifting in print. Except the attempt of Alexander Rattrahe, a missionary, who got steamed up about the possibilities of the church. But it never got into books and print because it was not done through the channels. Let us use them. And so in Romans then, 
he gives you two categories. The category of prophecy and the category of ministry. That word prophecy, as we will uh, tomorrow night talk more about it, and ministry are two categories of gifting. And then he gives you, without expanding these at this time, for our time is gone, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And the Apostle Paul doesn't give a full listing here. So you don't know how many there are from that gift, but you do know he is saying the way to put Romans 12, 1 and 2 into action is through the use of my God-given spiritual gifts. And what a pathetic thing the church has done with it. Nothing. The Reformation gave us back priesthood. But it didn't give the priests anything to do. The Bible does. It's amazing how we can be selective in what we take, what we take from Scripture. What are they? When you get serious about it, then how many are there? My, oh my, here you come to all kinds of suggestions. When, when people finally got to talking about spiritual gifting, they, 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 some people had 25 gifts. Uh, art was a gift, music is a gift, singing is a gift, etc., etc. Where does the Bible say that? It doesn't say that at all. Uh, there are, and we will go into this tomorrow night, I believe there are, well I know, there are 16 spiritual gifts mentioned in the scripture. That there are no others mentioned. Now someone says, can't there be more that aren't mentioned that you have? Wouldn't that be an uh, improper thing for the head of the church to do? To list what your gift is and not list what mine is. If so much is dependent upon it for all eternity, the least he could do would be to put the options there. I think he did. Because I think my God is fair. And he, he mentions 16. And it's neat how they come under three S's. There are sign gifts. There are speaking gifts. And there are serving gifts. In the speaking gifts there are five. In the serving gifts there are seven. And I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word. That if you are a child of God. You have one of those twelve. And it will be a major thing. At the judgment seat of Christ. In the evaluation that Christ will make of your service in order to determine what you will do for eternity with the capacity that you have developed. Spiritual gifting and the use of the gifts that God has given me is the thing that enables me to enlarge my capacity which shall be the capacity that I will have to bring glory to God in service in His kingdom forever and ever and ever. The phenomenal thing. And I want to tell you, as the late uh, 
bugs me when names leave my head. Uh, from Watts, honey. My friend from Watts, who's now with the Lord. E.B. Hill. When he used to greet me, that big man would grab me like this, and when he, he'd pick me up, you know. And I can remember him saying so well. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet! Do we get excited about the fact that God has put in me a spiritual capacity for development that came with my salvation? And what have I been doing to discover it and to develop it and to deploy it? Well, that's what we're here for, isn't it? So we're going to spend some time tomorrow night talking about those 16 gifts. Four sign gifts will be on the next night. The speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And as I said to you earlier, we're going to try to help you with a spiritual gift inventory. But for the time being, and until we get to that, some of you may not be able to be here. You say, how do you come up with those 16? Well, what I do is take every passage in the scripture that says anything about spiritual gifting. And I find that there are three basic passages. 1 Peter 4 deals with the speaking and serving capacities without giving any specific illustrations like Paul does in Romans 12. Romans 12, Paul gives the speaking category, which sometimes is called prophecy, and the serving category, which is simply another translation of the, the word for ministry. And then in Romans 12, Paul gives six illustrations. Uh, ruling, mercy, giving, helping. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul, in that, those chapters, adds to these faith, discernment, and governing. So you've got five mentioned in Romans 12. You've got seven mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And you've got three capacities. Two capacities, a third one that we'll talk about later. But uh, that's the way we do theology. We take everything that God has said on the subject, we collate it, we put it all together, organize it, and then take that as our commission. What he has said. So we, we come back to that uh, first statement way back there. Uh, what are they? How many are there? Are there any for me? If you want to get into that, just look at each of those passages. And there's one thing that cannot be debated, and that is that everybody has a spiritual gift or more 
Everybody does. That's a, no, that's a child of God. It came in my salvation package. Are there any for me? And if you will read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, if you will read Romans chapter 12, if you will read Ephesians chapter 4, if you will read uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, those four major passages, you will find that everybody has the capacity. The answer to the question, when did I get it? Like with your natural talents, you got it at the, at the time of birth. My natural talents came with my physical birth. My spiritual gifts came with my spiritual birth. They're a part of my spiritual capacity for development. And then finally... Who decides that? God and God alone. Only God. He is the one who gives me the capacity for spiritual exercise. Let me uh, give you one more uh, just to catch up with myself here. Here you have the Gifts mentioned in each of the gifting passages. Romans 12, 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Ephesians 4, 11. When you take all of those passages where spiritual gifting is dealt with and you put them together, you have the results that I mentioned to you a moment ago. And when you answer the question, are there any for me? Then you can take the passages, look at them. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God dealt to each one a measure of the faith. So that's just a, a, a short summary statement in answer to those questions. What are they? How many are there? Are there any for me? When did I get it? And finally, who decides? And that is told to us very carefully in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. And I conclude with this, and I better read the text for you. In 1 Corinthians 12, Verse 11. After he has named a package of the gifts here, in the preceding verse to show the diversity of gifting, he then says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, as he wills. Gifts do not come because of prayer. 
They were given to me before I ever uttered a prayer in my salvation package. And if my tendency is to make the he into a we, to change the H to a W, then for safety's sake, what I would do would be to circle that word he and draw a line out to the margin and say this is an H, not a W, to remind me. My gifts are not given. You see, in Paul's analogy, between the foot and the hand, how many would choose a foot as over against the hand? Or how many would choose an eye as over against an ear? But God has ordained that there is no caste system. There are no better gifts and no lesser gifts. But the way we use them makes the difference. And Jesus goes so far in his talking about reward in chapter 10 of Matthew that he says, The prophet who is faithful to deliver his prophetic message shall receive reward for that. And the what? The one who gives a cup of cold water in the name of a prophet shall receive the same. Uh, there's not greater reward for being a preacher or a teacher than there is for being a mercy person. Because we need them all. They need to function together. That's the family of God. And oh my, what could happen if we could really get excited about the package that God has given to us. I close with this thought. When we uh, celebrate Christmas with our tribe, we get the presents out for the kids first, and that's usually the instruction. You know, you've you got to get it to them because if you don't, it'll be bedlam. You know, trying to get you to get with it. And they get in there and tear that paper off, excited to get down what's inside. <laughs> I wonder what God thinks with regard to the gift he's put in us. When actually there is little or no excitement about it. And... Uh, we haven't even got the ribbon off, yet alone the package open. You say, well, you're talking about all those people out there. Fine, let's tell them that then. Let us start a movement of asking people, what's your gift? And where are you using it? Are the people benefiting from it? Are you being blessed by it? Is God rejoicing over it? And, and why not move the involvement level up? I don't know what the involvement is. You know your church. I don't know your church that well. But uh, uh, do, do you have 20% uh, involvement of the people? Uh, could we move that to 40? Uh, we ask God to bring revival. 
the Lord would say, Hello, have you read my book? John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We pray, Oh Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be blessed. God says, Read my book. I've told you the way. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God, oh, has a hard time restraining himself from giving blessing. He doesn't have all of his goodies in his hands tightly clenched behind his back. He is anxious to give and give and give again. Blessing. But he has a condition. I've given you something to use. Will you find out what it is? Will you develop it? And will you deploy it? In the church and through the church to the whole community. That's the only reason I'm here this week. And I'm sure that's the reason you're here just now. Uh, let's pray to that end. Let's pray that God will enable us to get excited about what He is excited about. That means a whole lot more to me right now than Tim Duncan and Rashid Wallace that we were convincing about before the meeting started. I love watching basketball. Your pastor doesn't understand that. He still thinks football is the game to watch. Well, pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we, we started out singing well. I'm so glad. I'm a part of the family of God. And I'm so glad, Lord, you paid the full price. It came without cost to me. And Lord God, you paid the price by the life of your Son. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us what we could never have earned. We would be lost for eternity were it not that you loved enough, O oh God, to send your Son. And Lord Jesus, you loved enough to pay the ultimate price. An infinite gift that covers an infinite number of people. Thank you, Father, for the price you paid. And that gives us eternal life by receiving the price you paid. 
And now it's up to us to be good stewards of that prize. And dear Father, that causes my mind to go right back to the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And he talks about the terrible loss at the judgment seat of Christ in chapter 3. And then he comes to chapter 4. And he says, I am a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Not successful necessarily, but faithful. And Lord, we just have a small segment of your people of this church body here. But they are that. They belong to you. And they are probably very involved. And Father, we would like through this conference to see that involvement spread to others. It only takes a fire. It only takes a spark, we're told, to get a fire going. And Lord, I pray that you will so work in my heart this few days that I will be available to your Holy Spirit and that I will be in such tune with your blessed Son that I will be able to speak your word correctly. And Father, I pray that Jesus' prayer to you with the words, Father, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Oh, help us, Lord God, to be set on fire by truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, dear people.